Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Greetings, fungal associates, and welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I am one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson, and I'm alongside... Casey Clapp, the host with the coffee. Host number dose. You technically have a coffee too, I guess. Yes, we are sipping coffee. And uh, mm. Casey, this is... I, I told you before we started recording, I wanted to tell you a, a breakdown of all of the beverages I've had this morning. Yeah, I recall that. It's currently 11.44 a.m. Okay. I've had two coffees, an Americano. That's technically a coffee. Three coffees. Okay. A spinach smoothie. And 80 ounces of water. 80 ounces of water? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Two of these big bottles behind me. What? Why are you drinking so much water? That seems like an unhealthy amount of water. I'm so hydrated. Yeah, I guess that's true. You well, know, well, I guess now yeah, that is probably a reasonable, healthy amount of water. It's the, so this is, you know, you drink coffee for the, you get caffeine. True. But then you need to hydrate. Yes. Because it's also a diuretic. I have actually heard that, yes, it does dehydrate you, but it's also, I've heard that it's not that bad. It's not as bad as people make it out to be because you're drinking a lot of water with a cup of coffee. Like you're drinking, what is that, 12 ounces of water? Sure. And then I guess if you're peeing out way more than 12 ounces that's what makes it more uh bad i see i gotcha that All sounds right. like some pro coffee propaganda well hell i mean i'm just saying coffee is the single greatest drink to ever be invented by man you do love your coffee i love my coffee i'm drinking a eight ounce latte because any yeah. more than eight ounces in a latte ruins it wow yeah you're one of these like uh you have you have high standards when it comes to coffee i think that's fair yeah i'd like yeah you know what and i always have this this uh this talk with friends where they're like no coffee is a tool that i use in the morning i don't care how it tastes it's it's just meant to wake me up or something like that. That's me. Okay, so I'm just like, well, yeah, but if you could have a really nice tool, wouldn't you like to have a better tool to, right. to do things, you know? That's a bit of a personal question, exactly. Casey. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, this is a personal thing. I think coffee, <laughs> I mean, it's the first thing that you usually interact with when you wake up, other than maybe your pillow or like your, your partner if you roll out of bed over the wrong direction. Sure. Anyway, I think that if you get good coffee, then you're going to enjoy it and it'll make you happier rather than like, I just got to like slap myself in the face to wake me up. It's like, well, yeah. why don't I gently massage my back and like, ooh, really arch it out. Put on that soft shirt I love. That way I can wake up with this really nice feeling rather than, you know, walk into your, your, your kitchen, get hit in the face by a 
box of Folgers and then uh, and then walk out the door and, and never be happy, never be satisfied. That's very fair. And I will say so that I, I earn a couple kudo points with you. I have upgraded my coffee situation That's right. to a kettle with a thermometer. Mm. So I got that sweet zone. Okay. And then I got a pour over. I think pour pour overs are so pleasant. Yeah, they're just such a nice way to get coffee. I use an AeroPress personally. Right. Anyway, Casey, before we talk about our tree today, we have uh, something special to do here. Let us. We got an email from Jason Olson. Hi, Jason. And Jason Olson said, "Dear Casey and Alex, my wife Missy is a huge fan of your podcast." What? She's a biology and earth science teacher in Minnesota, and she's currently a runner-up in the 2021 Presidential Teaching Award, Casey. Yeah, oh that's incredible. So in the running still is what I think is that, that means, right? I believe so. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, God, good luck. Uh, yeah, Missy, we hope that goes well for you. Uh, that's she's so also exciting. turning 40 years old. Oh my gosh, happy birthday. On October 7th. So October we're little, 7th. We're yeah, a little, we're little early. Well, that's all right. This podcast is going to come out in, what, four days? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're just catching up. <laughs> um, uh, so we just so we just wanted to say to Missy, thank you for listening. We hope that you win this award. Seriously. Uh, and we don't know what the other contestants are like, of course. They probably are also well qualified. And yeah. No, I'm just kidding. They suck. Go Missy. Yeah, go Missy. Everybody else can go blow one. Yeah. Is that a thing? Casey, this week we're talking about chestnuts roasting, not an open fire. Hey, wow. Whoa. Is Mr. Sinatra here? <laughs> hey, hey. I'm just, uh, just here with my pack. Uh, Casey... As you have alluded to already, today we are talking about the American chestnut Castanea dentata. I love how you say it. I would say Castanea. Castanea. Yes. Okay, Castanea dentata. Dentata, meaning that it has a dentate-like leaves, so it has a, uh, the margin on the outside is very dentate. I can't wait to hear more about that. Oh, I'm not going to tell you anymore. That's, you're going to have to live with that. Oh, come on now. Anyway. Uh, so, Casey... As we do every episode, let's imagine that you and I are walking through mm. a eastern forest. Oh, this is a trick question, isn't it? Did I ask a question? No. Well, sorry. Trick. Trick. Statement. Keep going. Yeah. It's, it's just a trick. I'll explain it in a second. All right. We're walking somewhere, <laughs> and we come across a bunch of American. Uh, I almost said American elm. A bunch of American oh, chestnuts. That's right. And I say, Casey, please tell me about this tree uh okay so first off to answer your question strictly mm -hmm. as we're walking through a forest and we find an american chestnut it's actually going to be a bunch of sprouts coming off of a dead stump and those sprouts will maybe get 15 20 feet tall and then they will die and that's what we'll see. And it'll be these little tiny sticks that are coming up, maybe an inch or so in diameter. I see. And they have leaves that are coming out. Anyway, happy story. Casey, this is a tragedy. I know. Okay, let me rewind. The year is 1865. <laughs> there we go. And we come across some current American chestnut trees. <laughs> Healthy. Casey, what do we see? This would be a tree that you found across the across the entire eastern United States. Almost ubiquitous in the forests of Appalachia, going from uh, Mississippi and Louisiana all the way up through Ohio over to the northeast. 
all the way down through um, sort of the mountain, sort of Piedmont areas of the of the south and southeast. Wow. All over the place. And it was so common that I think it was like almost 50% of the trees in this entire forest. So in this 1865 forest that we're walking through, um, we are seeing a gigantic tree. Mm-hmm. Like 11 feet in diameter Woof. growing straight up huge big gigantic trunk with these dark dark kind of or these deep furrows they're not dark they're actually kind of like brownish gray hmm. it has a very noble appearance this tree and its crown grows up it grows really straight has a very straight trunk and then it splits off into a bunch of smaller uh smaller branches and kind of has this big rounded tall crown Okay. And it looks different than an oak where you imagine an oak gets like a really big globe kind of shape to it. Mm. And you imagine a um, an elm with that vase shape where it goes up and then yeah. cascades over. What shape are we experiencing with the American chestnut? It's upright. It grows extremely upright and then kind of comes out left and right but in a really like uniform like rounded square shape it's kind of hard to describe i think and there's one that i've been trying to take a picture of in the winter time here in portland multiple times but they get like circular and tall but at the same time short and wide i don't understand it. what in the world yeah if you see one you'll kind of understand and be like wow okay it is kind of Big yet small at the same time. Is it kind of pear shaped? Um, yeah, I'd say that's a pretty reasonable idea. Yeah, okay. like yeah. F- kind of fatter at the bottom and a little yeah, narrow, more narrow kind of, at the top. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't get like uh, like a big circle, and the top doesn't keep growing out when the bottom slows down. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Um, it, but it does have like a very rounded, you know, pear shaped or like um, like a, a number eight. You know, okay. Where number eight has a bigger, bigger bottom circle, yep. a, a smaller top circle. I see. Kind of like that, but if you get rid of the the separation, the the crossover in the middle, and you just kind of go and you match up those lines with a little indentation, like a pear shape. Ex- I, you know what? Now that you say it, it's very pear like. <laughs> wow, you talked yourself into agreeing with me. <laughs> I agreed with you to the beginning. Uh, what a fool. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, you also have these, uh, like, the leaves are very telltale, where they're they're long, kind of lanceolate leaf. They're maybe two inches wide, maybe six inches long. Wow. And they have these perfect veins going out. One mid-vein, skoosh, and then veins left, right, left, right, left, right, going out very straight. And they are a little bit, like, the they're either perfectly kind of uh, parallel on either side, the, the edges of the leaf, or they kind of get a little wider at the end mm. and then come to a tip and each on the everything on the outside very dentate so dentate means like tooth like or uh very just like triangles on on the sides of the of the leaf that are kind of angled towards the tip with little tiny bristle tips at the end let me ask you this casey yeah go for it you dropped this dentate term earlier yeah and you kind of just used it in the same way that you might use the word pinnate Oh, no, 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 or no. palmate? No. No, uh, completely. This is a margin thing. Correct. This is the edge, the margin of the leaf, the okay. edge of the leaf. Yeah. Okay. So what is the difference between dentate and serrated? Usually the serrated, they're a little bit more curved and they kind of have a little bit sharper looking um, edges, whereas dentate is very much um, uniform, where I, I guess... Uh, the uniformness of the triangleness um, uh-huh. of the leaves... 
um, they come out and they're very triangular, whereas you don't necessarily, with a serrated leaf, they don't necessarily follow that same, like, uh, I guess almost perfect triangle. And a lot of times, I, whenever I do tree ID, I kind of try to describe the differences in these, and it's really in the eye of the beholder a lot of times, oh. where a dentate margin would be more triangular, and then a serrated margin would be less triangular and kind of angled a little bit more, kind of like a, um, a serrated knife, where they're kind of angled so that if you're doing the push or the pull is when you're doing the cutting. Boy, that distinction, I'm looking right now at a side-by-side of a dentate and a serrate. Yeah. That distinction, I basically can't see it. And it's really not there. You yeah. know, it's a matter of if you see it or if you don't see it. Or sure. if you think that something looks a little bit more serrated, then eh, we'll call it serrated versus something else. You know? Yeah. I usually imagine them as being a little more uh, serrated. One would be a little more curved or like have a big one, big uh, left side and then a smaller right side. Oh, a big left sure. side and a smaller right side. Something like that. Yeah, the dentate. Uh, at least the the one on the American chestnut to me looks almost like um, like holly or something. Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, except they're not sharp in the sense where they they they're not um, they're not hard. Yeah, they're not going to poke you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're just they're feathery, but they're they're uh, spiky in appearance. Yes, exactly. They just look scary. All yeah. all uh, they just they just they just you know they just want to look. Like, you don't want to touch them. But then yeah. as soon as you get in there, they're just like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm not going to fight you. A bit of an Alex. A bit of an Alex. Where you just, yeah, yeah. You, you look imposing. Mm-hmm. But then if someone looks at you, they're like, that's the nicest guy. <laughs> this guy's made of Play-Doh. What was I so worried about? <laughs> Um, the other thing about this is that they have such great fruit. Of course, everyone knows yes. chestnuts, roasting chestnuts on the open fire, that's that kind right. of thing. They are... Um, they have historically been super delicious. People have eaten the um, the chestnuts. They grow all over the world. There's about 12 species, um, and they've eaten the the fruit all the time, which is this chestnut. But which what's fun about them is that they have like what is the the Sonic the Hedgehog? They're like little hedgehog. Oh yeah, um, husks Quills. around them. Yeah, look up the uh, the fruit, or if you go to the Oregon State Landscape Plants, they have a bunch of great pictures. Of course, as they always do. And you can see what the fruit looks like. Yeah. It's like a <clears throat> ball of spikes. It is. And you know how the uh, the leaves are like, wow, well, you can kind of touch them and you know, they, they'll just kind of, you know, they'll fold over really easily. They're not going to hurt you by any means. These not so much? Not at all. Are they truly spiky and they the, They hurt. Yeah. Wow. If you hold them in your hand and you're like, you, you know how like if you hold a spiky thing in your hand, it just kind of sits there because there's so many spikes coming out where none has enough pressure yeah. and it doesn't really hurt. This will hurt. Like you just hold it in your hand you're like, ow. And you switch it to the other hand you're like, ow. And you'll throw it down and you'll step on it because you're so mad. And then it'll go right through your foot. <laughs> and it'll go right through. All right, they're not quite that bad. <laughs> but yeah, they, they absolutely hurt and they're not comfortable and you will not enjoy them. Wow. Well, Casey, what is the point of a of a fruit that is so spiky? Well, the point of it would be to stop predation. So this, obviously, people ate these, but also a hundred different animals yeah. ate these all over the place. And they were so populous, like because, um, as we said earlier, almost 50% of the canopy or of the, the forest uh, species were chestnuts. That's wild. Yeah, if you counted 50 trees, 25 of them would be a chestnut tree yeah. in the eastern forests. And because of their like just 
so ubiquitousness, they develop these fruits that are really hard to get into. So animals would come around, they'd be like, oh, I'm just going to go eat these. And the tree would say, no, 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 no. And they'd just cover it in spikes, which of course, these are cilia, like little hairs. They just develop and just get bigger and bigger and, you know, harder and harder. I see. And so over time, as the fruit develops, boom, they become covered in these spikes. Animals just can't walk over there and just mess with them and eat them all. Then the tree will slowly drop those spikes. They'll start to decay, and then the seed will grow inside there. But it's already hit the ground. still has this protective layer on it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can get through it. Obviously, humans figured it out. Lots of animals have figured it out. And also, they can open up and kind of let the seeds fall out at the same time. So oh, wow. Sometimes they stay on the tree. Sometimes they fall off the tree. Sometimes they open on the tree and let them kind of come out. So it just depends on all sorts of stuff. I always assume that trees want things to eat their seeds. But this is not the case because these seeds are really big and yeah. you'd have to chew it. Any animal would have to chew it in order to digest it. Right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And there's not like mini seeds in it. Like a blackberry. Yes. I see what you're saying. Is yeah. a blackberry seeds are so tiny. A bird can pass that through its butt. Totally. Yeah. And spread it, right? Exactly. But this seed is a chonker. Yeah, it's like an acorn or a walnut. Right. Because they end up basically, the nut, the thing that you eat is the seed that they want to grow, yes. that they do not want eaten. So it makes sense to protect it while it's on the tree. Exactly. Anyway, these trees are, they're just beautiful. We have a couple here in Portland that we could I could go and show you. In fact, one, I was very much involved with saving. I This is actually a great story. Okay. Where was a, there was a development getting done, mm -hmm. and um, someone, they had accidentally basically just put an X on this tree, this street tree, to be removed. So my job was to go out and say, oh, okay, well, let's, let's I have to go look at this tree. I looked at it, and they the neighbors who I talked to they claim that it's an American chestnut. I'll, why that's important, we'll discuss in a second. Okay. Um, but it's also not native here, so someone would have had to have planted it. They grow really fast. Like, they get really big really fast. Hmm. Um, again, redwoods of the east is what they were called. And so this guy, so I saw this tree, and I was like, this tree's gorgeous. There's no way I'm going to let this tree get removed. So I went and like had to like go back and like, no, you have to change your plans. You can't remove this tree. And they're like, well, what? Well, great, we didn't want to. And I was like, well, what? And usually they always like, oh, we got to get rid of all the trees. Yeah. And the guy's like, no, that's going to save us a whole bunch of money. And it was a um, uh, a local development company or local builder, and they were doing inclusionary housing. And I was just like, sat down there and talked with the guy for a while. And he's like, yeah, this is great. Like, I'm super stoked that we don't have to cut this tree down because, yeah, we can work with that. We can work around it easy. We can go like from the alleyway. And uh, this actually will really save us a lot of money because it's a huge tree. Yeah. And it was so refreshing to like have this, um, this company that was so like focused on doing good stuff in the community from the community's albina tree or albina construction, I think is what, it is, what it's called, which is a neighborhood, used to be an old city in North Portland. Mm -hmm. And a historically disenfranchised people and uh, area. And so it was really nice to see like, you know, a, a group from the community doing work in the community, inclusionary, uh, low income housing or just income housing that anyone can live in. Yeah. 
And on top of that, we're like, yeah, we totally want to save this tree. The whole community was about it. That fall, I went back because people will go and collect the chestnuts from this tree. Wow. And they had their construction fencing up saying like, hey, stay off the property because we're trying to build this house. It's kind of dangerous. And people would sneak in there and steal uh. all, the, all the nuts that fell on the, on the tree or fell on the property. So I drove by one day, you know, just to check and see, you know, how's it going? And I talked to the guy and he was just still in such a, like a happy disposition that was a little bit like man this tree's been so much trouble <laughs> people keep on walking into our site to collect all uh, these chestnuts <laughs> and he was just like he was exasperated but not in a way that he was like mad he was just like oh man people yeah. just give us give us a couple months and we're gonna get this done <laughs> so it was it's i still see people it's on williams avenue and um I think Morgan Street, something like that. Okay. And it's just it's just before uh Killingsworth, just south. Okay. And but it's just such a it's a beautiful tree. People go there and still to this day, every single fall, you'll see them collecting nuts off the sides of the road, in the road, everywhere. Wow. Yeah. And so it's like a, you know, I was just it was a whole community thing and the everyone in the community has uh, has told me about it. If I ever walk by like, oh yeah, we collect this all the time. Like multiple people. It's stunning. It's very uh, squirrel like behavior. It is, yeah. Yeah. Well, Casey, how about some Croson's homegrown trivia? Well, that sounds great as long as it's organic free range. It absolutely is, yes. Casey, as always. Uh, so the king of the forest, this this tree was called, is called. This is from Indian Country Today. This, uh, this link I'll have in the, um, uh, in the show notes uh-huh. on the website. It's all about indigenous news and such. Uh, and this, this is what it says. In native culture, the American chestnut was once king. So deeply entwined was its relationship to native people in the eastern United States that archaeological records and oral histories reveal that tribes from southern Canada to Georgia, from Maine to the Ohio River Valley and beyond, actively managed their forests to favor and encourage its growth. Wow. You're kidding me. Isn't that incredible? I wonder then... If there was, uh, so like I said, like uh, there used to be this old saying um, th- it, that a squirrel could go from the Mississippi River to the Atlantic Ocean, yeah. and it could hop from chestnut tree to chestnut tree and never touch the ground. Wow, that's how many there were. And I wonder now if that was uh, an act of the forest living its life, or if it was in fact quite a bit more connected uh, to the peoples that live there. It makes sense that it would be the connection. Yeah. I'm sure a a bit of both is probably the case. Yeah. Uh, So here are some indigenous uses, Casey. And this this list is short. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I'm sure that because of its importance, there are a million other uses that I'm missing. But here's here's a, for the purposes of a, a, you know, an hour long radio show, (laughs) uh, the Cherokee people made cough syrup from the leaves to treat whooping cough. Oh, okay. And uh, made an infusion of year old leaves to uh, take care of some heart problems, Case. I didn't know that. I wonder what the year-old leaves uh, would have in them that would make them unique that's in a, that. That's a good question. Curious. That would be uh, a, a good thing to answer on a science podcast. Yeah. But, you well, know. well when, when you find one, let me know. <laughs> uh, the Iroquois ground the wood. This, is one of my, this one's my favorite. They mm-hmm. would grind the wood into a powder, okay? Yeah. 
make super fine sawdust of this uh of this tree okay and then use it as an anti-chafing powder oh my god the wood yeah they would use it for like really like as a gold bond yeah exactly i don't think OG gold bond i now i'm wondering like if what's gold bond made out of like talcum powder is that it okay yeah the same kind of stuff like you'd powder yeah. like a baby's butt with or something that's right yeah mm-hmm. and the iroquois would use it for that purpose to wow. powder their baby's butt how long that would take to like have a mortal mortar and pestle i can't even imagine man your hands got to be so strong what do you think is the first step in that in that scenario dry the wood dry it dry it okay and then, and then crunch it into small pieces i don't know how you do that even yeah maybe just mash it you take a take a, a big rock and you just smash it down. So you oh. smash and kind of separate it out to like, you know, stringy bits of mashed wood uh-huh. and then grind that. Wow. But yet also have to dry it all at the same time. Well, maybe somebody listening knows and can send us an email. Yes, we'll, please. That would be spectacular. I would, I would love to know. Uh, also, the meat of the nut was ground and combined with bear grease to use yeah. in to treat hairs. So it was like kind of a conditioning uh, all right. agent. Yeah. Man, I love that. Yeah. Bear grease. Bear grease. Yeah, we got to go get some bear grease. Yeah, man, mm. some bear lard and uh, chestnut. You can also mix the bark with dog food to treat worms in your pup. Really? Yeah. Oh, the worms, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I wonder what it is about the bark. I guess it has tannins in it, so maybe, maybe it's the same thing where it is it actively keeps insects away so then you can use those same properties to help keep other 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 things away i guess there you have not it. insects worms are different that's a great deduction all right uh, the mohican made tea from the leaves to treat rheumatism and coughs and colds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course the the crown jewel of the chestnut tree the chestnut uh, ground into flour for cakes breads pudding soups everything i mean yeah, yeah. the possibilities there are endless Alex, I use the past tense for this tree because it is a sad, sad story of decimation where this once so populous tree has been cut short and we now have almost literally zero everywhere in the United States. It went from the single most popular tree, and I'm sorry, it's the single most common tree to being almost non-existent because of a sad, sad story called the chestnut blight. And Casey, tragic tales are best told after a quick break. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Casey, before the break, you teased a sad, sad story. I did. Now let's give the people what they want. All right. Well, you know you know how some people, you you want to like listen to the true crime sort of podcast? Right. And you want to you hear the like, like the tragedy of the whole thing? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Anyway, everyone, go get your wines, go get your sad milks, and uh, get ready. Because, sad milk? Yeah. Well, how do you dr- Yeah. Is that like ricotta? Sad milk. <laughs> no, I think that's better milk. That's happy milk. Yeah, ricotta's happy milk. <laughs> no, I it's yeah, I just well I assume some people drink wine when they're sad and I other see. people would drink <laughs> sad milk. Anyway, sad milk in hand. Yeah. The American chestnut is gone and dead, and here's why. 
1904, there was a, uh, a, a there was trees in the botanic garden in Brooklyn, and these were huge trees. You know, the same kinds of trees that we had uh, growing literally all over the place. I guess mm. no, I'm sorry, this is, uh, the zoo in New York. I guess um, I've heard different things now. Okay, uh, but anyway, they're in this big garden, this big, this big beautiful kind of area in New York, and it's 1904, and people start seeing that these trees are just like dying back, like they're just turning brown. And they're getting these big pustules on the sides. And they're like, well, what is, what is going on here? And no one really knew. But then all of a sudden, boom, chestnut dead. Wow. Next, the ones right next to it, dead. Like in a matter of like weeks, these trees would go from fully kicking it to completely dead. Weeks? Yeah. In a matter of weeks, the, tr- the whole tree would die. So they then started seeing this spread from those trees to the next trees, to trees nearby, trees that were planted on the street in other parks all over the place. But specifically chestnut trees? Very specifically the American chestnut. Okay. And I say very specifically the American chestnut because there are other species of chestnuts, um, specifically um, the Chinese and the European chestnut. Right. That did not, they didn't suffer from this near as bad. Okay. But they weren't as big or as important in the United States or in North America as, of course, the American chestnut, the native species here. Yeah. And so they started uh, basically watching this happen, and they were like, okay, so now, boom, there it is. And then they're like, wow, okay, there's this, there's this. And then... Essentially, by 1940, so that's 35 years, essentially, uh-huh. every American chestnut across the entire continent is dead. So, we, you and I are 32 years old. Yeah. Uh, so, that is almost as if we were born with these trees around us, and yeah. by the time we are the age we are now, they were gone. They were gone. And this is uh, specific to the trees themselves in like the stems and the leaves and everything above ground. Funny enough, oh. the base of the tree and the roots are resistant to the disease. What the heck? They're different chem or different um, like physiological like growing types. So there's like you know organs of trees. The roots, the st- and the the roots are one organ. The stem and the branches are another organ. Then you have leaves and you have the reproductive parts. Wow. So the roots did not have uh, a significant negative effect. So you would cut down the tree, it would sprout back and get maybe a couple years old before this airborne uh, blight comes over and then kills that top back down again. Then the tree has to regrow. And there's still trees. You can still find some of them out there today that have just been sprouting for decades, just coming back and back and back. So you can never see a really big one other than places west of their native range. So um, for those of you, a lot of people have talked about the overstory, the book about um, these people and, you know, just go read the book. It's a great book. Um, I'm almost done with it right now. At the very beginning, they talk about this, uh, the American chestnut and its blight. Arbitrarypod.com slash books. Yes, and you can find it there. And that is... um, uh, the one situation in there is it's a tree planted in Iowa. So it's planted in Iowa way outside the native range mm-hmm. of this blight. And the blight is airborne, which is why it was so it moved so fast and it couldn't stop. 
Is it a fungal blight? Um, I believe it is a fungal blight, but this one, yeah, it's a um, uh, it's a fungal blight, but it is it's not the same as like what you get like a mushroom. It's kind of like a fungus. It's called um, uh, I'm trying to think of it. Um, ascomycete is what it is. Okay, um, which is essentially like a um, a blister kind of uh, wound oh. on the side of a tree. So it would end up making. Um, these little things are called canida, um, and they basically open up like sores, and they're filled with pores. Jesus. I'm sorry, they open up like sores, and they're filled with spores that then pour out of this wound. <laughs> okay, Doctor Seuss. Oh man, I'm good. That was great. That'd be like a the the saddest Doctor Seuss, but it's like his blue period. <laughs> yeah, when he's about just... the chestnut blight. <laughs> Just nothing but fun rhymes and fun words. Just uh-huh. talking about how sad he is about all these trees. Yeah, I'm glad that he didn't write that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, um, instead of being like a large, um, a large big mushroom that kind of comes out, or like a conch, or like some something, those are called basidiomycetes, hmm. where they have this um, this one. F- fruiting body that comes out and then just releases all the spores. Yeah. This is like you get these wounds that just kind of fester, then pop open, and then that's where all the spores come from. Grotesque. Yeah, they're like these orange uh, blots on the side of a bark. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's, not, it's not beautiful by any means. And um, so basically, those would happen, they'd get all over the tree, and then they would just burst, and they are spread by water and wind. And if you've ever mm. seen spores, they're so light as to be almost entirely weightless. So any amount of gust of wind, like, I mean, right now, you have the ceiling fan on, yeah. that would be just churning them up like a tornado. Wow. And that would just make things go around and hit every possible place. So every tree was subjected to it at some point in time in its native area. Just a massacre. A massacre. Like, it happened so fast that people were stunned. And they tried to make, like, these big um, containment zones where they would, like, cut down all of the trees within, like, 100 miles outside the city. Kind of like a zombie apocalypse where you're making, like, this big buffer zone. Yeah. It's like, it's not going to get past there. Then inevitably, you see another one show up in this city and another one over here. Because it's a spore. What is it? Like, how can you stop it? It, it hits a truck and it stays on that truck. It lands on your feet and it's sticks in the soil that's on the bottom of your shoe and you walk around you you have just air that gets pulled up because the air does that and it goes into the tr- the stratosphere then it moves around and it comes back down somewhere else in rain there's just there's no way to stop it wow so it's uh this happened and this was such a stunning introduction where no one really knew what happened and they actually sent over one of our friends we talked about earlier um Myers the guy um that was that created the Myers lemon he was mm. a plant explorer who found the Bradford pear oh yeah that guy they sent him back over to China and they're like we need you to see if you can find this disease because we think it might have come from a Chinese import from a Chinese species of chestnut oh boy so he ended up finding it and said hey I, I found this I think it looks like it the Chinese chestnuts are just fine though because over there it's just a it, it doesn't even do anything uh, it's the same kind of fungus that if you have a, a broken branch, a perfectly healthy tree, everything's great. Then uh-huh. there's one dead branch. It'll have like these little fungus that's growing on that dead branch. Mm. The tree's already compartmentalized it off. It's already done. And now this branch is just kind of decaying. This over there, this uh, the chestnut blight in China, it does that on other trees where it just kind of kills off old dead dying branches doesn't affect the tree at all so the tree knows how to deal with it yeah what is that called it's resistant yes precisely that's exactly it 
it's resistant because it's evolved with it over you know millions of years, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas our native species, it has been speciated way, way before um, anything like that. Like we used to have chestnuts growing in Oregon. Like this, mm. it was a native species here, or at least a native species existed here about fifty million years ago. So the trees have been moving around. These things have happened, and now the American had been separated for so long that it did not develop that resistance. So boom, you introduce it, and it just runs rampant and it is a um it makes a canker which usually um there's two different kinds of cankers on trees Hmm. one is a perennial canker where it just kind of grows and then stops and the tree compartmentalizes around it but then the next year it breaks through that compartmentalized zone and it affects the zone just outside that then the tree compartmentalizes around that and you start getting these like these rings coming out is that the bullseye exactly that's exactly it with some other tree that we it, talked about? Uh, yeah, there, I can't remember which one we talked <laughs> about it. Either. But yeah, there's the bullseye. Um, it's exactly it. The bullseye kind of uh, canker. Yeah. This one is a uh, diffuse, so it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And it just, over time, very quickly, essentially just kills the tree and fills up the vessels and kind of fill, fills it up, dies, and then um, starts to eat it alive. The cambium? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. So it's uh, it's just, you know, it's the saddest thing. It's called um, Cryptophonectria, Cryptophonectria parasitica. And it's just, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, wow, it's that fast, that thorough. The tree's completely helpless to it. Wow. Yeah. And imagine how fast it grows. Um, I think, like I said, within, um, I'm, there's a, a, I'm looking at a website that has some really good information on it. It's called forestpathology.org. And um, it talks all about the symptoms, the distribution, what happened. And they have a really cool um, uh, old, like it's very clearly an old timey drawing of where it started. And it's like 1914, it's in um, New York, Massachusetts. 1910, it moves down towards New Jersey. Um, or I'm sorry, 1904, it starts in New York. Then it moves up 1910 and 1914, and it's all the way into like Vermont. Wow. Then 1920, it's down in Virginia and going into uh, North Carolina and it's just following the Appalachian, or Appalachian Mountains all the way down. And then by 1940, it's all, all the way into Georgia and Indiana. And then by 1960, it's done everything. It's all the way down to the, uh, the Gulf of Mexico, all the way over to Missouri. Wow. It's just stunning. In, in that amount of time, 60 years, and it's taken over everything. We still have a few around here that you can find. Like I can hopefully take you to this one that I'm talking about where they say it's an American. It might be possible because we've seen the blight here on the West Coast. We know it's it exists, but they're just so few and far between. It gets on some oak trees as well. Like I said, it's... Um, Within that family, the Fagaceae, which is the beech family, it is can affect these trees, but it's a minor pathogen for everything else. Like it just doesn't mean anything to them. So, like uh, to oak trees, it does it does it uh, manifest itself at all in any way? Not or really. Does it just like live on it? We don't really see it. They call it a minor bark infection. Oh, yeah. So a little eczema. Yeah, it's a little eczema. The bark is just going like, eh, whatever. It just moves on. Yeah. The tree, the tree compartmentalizes around it and then just handles it easy as that. Interesting. Yeah. It says if you could design or if you could custom design an ideal tree species, you couldn't come up with a better one than the American chestnut. That's how they describe it here. And on this uh, this site, I think I was reading at the bottom, um, the guy says for most 
forest pathologists, we like tree diseases. Generally, we like to see a disease, you know, we'd like to see a disease tree more than a healthy tree because there are people who study these things and they find them fascinating, which I read and was like, man, that's a little bit... I don't know, sadistic. That's like a, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting perspective. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting perspective. Like, oh man, I love to see a sick tree. I just think they're so interesting. But then he also knows like right after that, he's like, but this one, this disease is the worst. He says, it's a different story. That's wow. how, like, even people who love to see the disease, this disease is too much even for them. That's so intense. Yeah. There it is. So wow. anyway, we should talk about the the fact though that this tree, like you were saying earlier, had all these indigenous uses and all these other things and had the distinction of being the king of the forest, the most majestic, the biggest, the redwood of the east. It had everything and it's you always like you what kind of lesson is it, you know, Alex, that you can take from this? Because we didn't do it on purpose, we being humans. We didn't really know what we were doing when we introduced it. They think it might have come in as early as 1893. Okay. So it's like, well, we just had no idea if we did know. And now that we do know, we have a bunch of things put in place to make sure this kind of stuff doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. But we still are getting invasive species. We're still getting new things. Sudden oak death in California has come in. And that's a new one. Where everyone's like, well, we don't know what to do, but it's killing oak trees like nobody's business coming up California in the southern uh, or the southwest. Sudden oak death. Yeah. It's not a metal band, though I wish it was. I mean, you know, SIDS. Yeah. That's like sods. Yeah, okay, which yes. Which is, that acronym is also tree-themed. The sods, <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like that's like a joke. That's like that's like something a writer would come up with as a joke. Oh, yeah, I see These trees mean. have sods. We're, like... <laughs> we're fearful of sods. <laughs> I don't think I ever put that together, but that also oh is like, oh. God. It's, see, this, there's, there's a dark side to this whole thing. There's a dark comedy side, I guess, specifically. Jesus. You know, Casey, before we get into our review, uh, I'm going to read an excerpt from this article. Please do. From Indian Country Today about the American chestnut. It's called The Life and Death and life oh. of the American chestnut. So this is the this is the final this is sort of the final segment of this uh, of this article. Yeah, uh, and you can find the whole thing on our show notes on the website arbitrarypod.com. It's called the Survivor. Today, somewhere deep in the American forest, grows a tiny chestnut sprout. It is a hint of a once mighty giant. A clonal survivor of a 40 million year old legacy emerging from the forest floor to try once again to beat back its pernicious enemy. Eventually, however, even the sprouts and their root systems will die out and all the old castanet dentata will become extinct. But these shoots and leaves have managed to survive long enough to be of service to provide a bridge toward the future. The section basically goes over the quest to save the chestnut. Yes. Uh, This century-long quest to save the chestnut represents five generations of scientists, botanists, forestry experts, ecologists, researchers, and volunteers from around the world. They've all worked toward a common goal, returning the beloved tree to its place in the American wilderness. Mm -hmm. Uh, For native people, however... The return of the grandfather, the American mm, chestnut, yeah. provides a metaphor for the legacy of survival against all odds. Mm-hmm. 
Trees have a deep connection to native culture. We've depended on them to survive for thousands of years, and like the forests, we are still here in spite of enormous changes around us, social, political, environmental. We survived. It's now our turn to help bring them back. That is so gorgeous. Isn't that great, Casey? It is. I And so, you know, that I think is the lesson that I was asking about earlier is I think that's it. It's like, no, we're still here. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's used in the, the Native American sort of metaphor there to be like, we are still here and we now have an opportunity to help this thing that, you know, throughout our entire existence, like you said earlier, from... Maine to Ohio to Georgia, these people had like specifically gone out of their way and maintained this tree and encouraged it. Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know, that give and take and that sort of like uh, appreciation of the grandfather is so, so perfect here. Yeah. And Alex, I think that's a really good dovetail into what people are doing now to try to save this tree. There's all sorts of different people and organizations who are trying to breed in resistance to the American chestnut using other species and other genes, where you take a resistant tree and a non, or the normal non-resistant American tree, and you put them together, and now you have a hybrid between the two. Yeah. Then you crossbreed that back with another American chestnut, and you just keep doing that until you have like a 99% genetically... Uh, uh, genetically the same American chestnut, but you've kept breeding it with other um, hybrids and other species, or you keep breeding it with that hybrid that has that resistance. So you're hoping that that resistant gene continues to get passed down right. over those, like they said, five generations of people, which if we really amp it up, that could be 50 generations of trees. Mm-hmm. And if we can keep doing that, then it is possible that we can start releasing these trees back out into the native population and let them over time redevelop and use like what they were saying, the genes from those old trees that are still sprouting. They're still trying their best. If you get one flower that comes from that, that then goes into these other resistant trees, and you can start getting this resistance to actually become a part of this native population, it is on both sides something incredibly like accomplished where Mm -hmm. we bred in resistant to save what has been for every single species of animal, at least larger kind of mouse-like and bigger mammal that's lived on this continent, including and up to people, up to and including people. Yeah. Uh, It's been such an important tree and now we can give something back and we can bring it back to a, a place in the forest that it, it had earned and deserved. Meanwhile, it's also a little bit scary because now we're like saying, okay, we're going to try to like genetically alter this thing, not necessarily in a way that's like, we're going to go in with our, you know, uh, genetic engineering and make it happen. This is more breeding programs where mm. it's just, you know, like making a different breed of dog where it's just the good old fashioned way where you just have plant sex to produce new plants. It's a little bit scary to have to breed in these new things and put them back out into the population because it would not be the native tree that was growing here in a 100% fashion. In that one little bit of a way, there's that Japanese, the Chinese tree that has its genes in there. So it's a, it's almost a different kind of tree. Right. But we're trying to put it back in the native population and let it become a native part of the, the ecosystem again. 
It just brings up some interesting kind of, uh, you know, ecological ideas or like, you know, if you're a purist in terms of, uh, you know, what's growing, then it's like, well, we cause this problem, we're trying to fix it. But then at the same time, it's like, well, you can't unfix this problem. The problem exists and these trees are now going to go extinct as they were every single day of their lives pre-1900. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a really curious kind of uh, philosophical question on how um, how our interactions with the ecosystem sort of manifest. And Casey, with that, I think now's a great time to review this tree. Oh, man. You and I are going to give our final thoughts on the American chestnut and then give it a rating of 0 to 10 golden cones of honor. Mm, which we will roast on an open fire. Yummy. And as our resident expert... As always, we will begin with you. So, this tree has a, a special place in my heart only because when I first learned of it, I didn't, like, I remember distinctly my uh, teacher who taught me didn't even teach me the, the, the name, the specific epithet. It was like, ah, oh, this is a chestnut. We're not oh. even really sure which one. This is Castanea. Don't even worry about it. We're never going to test you. It's almost a passing note over okay. here. And this is in Eugene. So it's like, okay, you know, whatever. And moved on. And then the, uh, the trees that I've seen growing here in Portland kind of jump out of me where I'm like, wow, oh man, I remember this tree. I haven't seen one of these literally anywhere except right here and like in this area. There's one tree, I, someday I'll get a good picture of it in the wintertime. It's one of the most beautiful trees, I think, in this entire city. Hmm. And it's it grows open grown, like right off of, I think, Burnside and I don't know, 50th or something. And it's just this gorgeous, huge tree growing in the middle of this area. And it is... It, there's nothing around it, so you can see it in its its whole whole gorgeous beauty. Wow! I'm just like, well, the thing is stunning, simply stunning. Sounds awesome. However, this tree pokes me a lot, Alex. Oh, and boy. I don't like that. Sure, I don't like that it has such good armament that it discourages me to hold it. <laughs> but as you've said before, you like a tree that you can shake hands with. I like a tree that I can shake hands with, like uh, like looking them in the eye. You can't trust a plant if you can't look it in the eye. Wow. So for this tree, I I never had the experience, unfortunately, because I was not born in 1900 or mm -hmm. prior, to experience what these trees were really going to look like. So I can just take everyone's word for it. And that word seems pretty good. I'm going to give the American chestnut uh, it's gonna get a little bit of a sympathy push for me wow. because it's like wow well, you kind of like okay I'm, all right i'm sorry I'm it's gonna sick push out the, exactly yeah. it's sick so i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a seven point nah, it's seven point three seven point three with a sympathy push yes with a sympathy push okay. um and the reason for that is that if you add seven and three that's ten Oh, okay. Yeah. It's sort of a symbolic gesture. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 7.3 Golden Cones of Honor for the American Chestnut from Casey Clapp, Dendrologist Casey Clapp. Uh, Case, I like the American Chestnut, all mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Uh, I like its accolades as the king of the forest in the yep. east. Yep, yep. The redwoods of the east. That's a, that's a, I, it's, there's no shortage of titles that this tree uh, has. Unfortunately, it's sort of like a, uh, you know, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the first, the first uh, films. Mm -hmm. You know, like the train coming at the screen. Oh yeah, I'm sure that was mind blowing to see in the theater. Yeah, I was born. You know, eighty years later. It's true. Uh, I will never experience that. So I watch it now on YouTube, and I'm like, huh, interesting. Mm, and I move good. on. Oh, yes, okay, it doesn't have the same impact on me as it would if I saw saw it with my real eyes in a time when it was 
a big deal. Does I that make see. sense? I have no experience with it in its per, in its best form. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm a little impassionate about the American chestnut. I love what they're doing to try to bring it back. Mm. I love its contribution to humans. Uh, so you can't. I, are you saying you're kind of waiting for them to bring it back? It's like, okay, give me the updated version yeah. of that uh, that silent talkie film. No, wait, that's not the uh, that silent film. Yeah, give me, I'm give me for the updated. The the, give me the Michael Bay version mm, of no. you know, Mister Guy goes to Hollywood or something. <laughs> Mister Guy goes. I don't know. To I, was, I was trying to I was trying to think of a of a good silent film, and I could that's not come up with a one, single Casey. one. Mister Guy goes to Hollywood. <laughs> All right, there you go. Uh, I, yes, I'm waiting, of course, for the return of the king. Yes. Ah, oh, gorgeous. Okay. You so. know, sometimes you really got to go fishing for an episode title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving the American Chestnut a solid, well, well-rounded 6.0. A 6.0. Yeah. Right, that's fair. I mean, you know, it's... You know, I think it sounds good. Like, I can see a chestnut. Like, I wonder if there's an alternate side of chestnut where we give it all this, like, you know, I don't know, folklore, mythical kind of like, oh, the American chestnut. But sure. you, it's kind of like, well, if you actually go back and talk to American chestnut, they're kind of like, yeah, I used to be a big deal, bro. I used to be, okay, <laughs> whatever. You know, just get out of here. Here's, you know, here's a here's a couple nuts. I don't care. We've done this before. We're like, in, our, in, my, in my heart, sort of like for my personal, mm-hmm. I, I give this a 10. Yeah. But uh, it, on the show, in the canon of the show, mm. 6.0. And, which is good because I also do, I think, the exact opposite where in my, in my heart, they're lower because I deal with them. Oh. But then I have to give them high. Like the ginkgo where I was like, I just don't care about the ginkgo yes. right now. But really, I love the ginkgo, yeah. the story of it. So I think, yeah, the story of this, it's, it's such a tragic tale yep. that it's a, it's a legit Greek tragedy in the sense where the um, – uh, the, protagonist does not overcome the conflict wow and, yeah uh, yeah so i think this is good this is one where you can you can have the passion cry afterwards with your sad milk but like odysseus perhaps someday he will return perhaps someday well said casey it's time for a completely arbitrary q and a what do we got today alex this week's question is from fiona smeaton Fiona says, hey, Casey and Alex. Hello, Fiona. Hi, Fiona. My name's Fiona, and my partner, Mark, and I absolutely love your podcast and our proud fungal associates. Fantastic. <sighs> Happy to have we you. We live in Portland and love the idea of you guys doing a walking tour, Casey. Oh, my God. Our question is about stem cutting propagations. Interesting. Never heard of it. We had a large, mature oak tree behind our house that was unfortunately cut down by a new neighbor. We were so disappointed. We loved this beautiful tree. We ended up with a couple of branches that fell in our yard, and we tried to propagate them, but none of them took. I used a powder rooting hormone Mm -hmm. and tried to keep it damp and covered from harsh rain in the spring and sun in the summer. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what I did wrong. Luckily, we also have a little seedling that is doing well. Ooh, good. But we were wondering, why do some species have the ability to propagate through stem cuttings and some do not? What determines a species' ability to propagate versus just reproducing through seed? Thank you for the podcast. Sincerely, Fiona and Mark Casey. That. I know that the willows are great at this. Yeah. You can just take a branch, put it in the ground, and it'll grow. And it just grows, yeah. Now, what is the difference between something that 
a tree species that does it that well and yeah. one like this oak tree that just can't make it work. I don't actually have a very good answer for this. This is very curious. So I know the root hormone they're talking about. I have some myself. Okay. It's essentially a powder. Like it looks to me to be like baking powder. Okay. And like maybe a little little teeny tiny bit granular, more granular. Um, and the directions say, you know, you take a, a semi-large woody stem, like, you know, I don't know, an eighth or sixteenth of an inch, like a little small little bit. And you take it and you you dip it in this rooting hormone. You put it in a soil medium is what they call it. And mm. so it's not quite your traditional soil that you'd get if you just go dig in your backyard. Yeah. Usually it's a little more uh, airy. It has a lot of um, organic matter or a lot of water holding capacity, like maybe perulite or vermiculite, things like that. Okay. And these are essentially like minerals, but they are... They're minerals that have so much surface area that just a ridiculous amount of water can just stay in them. But then you also put in, you know, other other bits of soil, like potting mix in there. And so you add all that kind of stuff in there. And these are like, you know, very specific engineer designed things. Um, but what it does is it keeps the moisture level really high, but gives them just enough to, um, like mineral and soil area, organic uh, matter that... You stick the thing in there, it can start getting nutrients, but really what it needs more than anything is water, like a bunch, a bunch of water. Okay. Um, a bunch of water and a bunch of air is really what you're getting with just enough of the other uh, minerals and nutrients to keep the thing alive. So with this powder, you're sort of giving it like a head start? No. So that's the thing with the powder. The powder is actually just strictly a hormone. It oh. is just a, a... Oh, wait, the soil, I'm sorry. Yes. The special soil is like a head start. Exactly. It's giving it a really good head start, okay. precisely. And it makes it so the roots have the perfect conditions to grow. Right. Um, whereas the, the root hormone is the powder that you cover this stick in or this uh, whatever, the cutting that you're taking. And then it essentially makes uh, encourages the tree and says, now is the time for you to grow roots. Like you're now getting the hormone to grow roots. Some plants just respond really well to that. Like you said, the willow doesn't even need it it's got mm. enough um reaction in in how it grows because it grows in an area where it gets knocked down all the time so anytime it touches the soil that is enough of a stimulus to have it put out roots some trees like oak trees most of the pine trees and um things in the pine family your dug fir i mean lindens probably don't do it a lot of trees just don't do that they don't have the uh right conditions up in the stem again a different entire organ than the roots to actually grow new roots i see some trees do uh are just are they have the natural uh propensity is that the word i'm looking for i think so yeah they just want to do it all the time redwoods will put new roots into bark or i'm sorry into uh soil that is developed on their bark on branches way up like 100 200 feet in the air wow so they'll grow wherever they're they'll grow roots wherever they happen to grow roots um however my bet is with the oaks like they tend not to do that so if you have a big oak and the the a big branch comes down and it hits the the ground mm -hmm. that branch probably will not end up growing roots they just aren't they just don't have that um sort of genetic thing that says yep yeah, do that right okay. now okay so you add the root hormone, it may be that the root hormone is like saying, grow, come on. Yeah. But the tree's like, nah, no, I'm, 
I'm actually going to react and try to cut this off. It could have also been too dry, could have been too dead already. Mm. Usually, if I recall, they, the best time is to take kind of a late summer where everything is kind of set already. The tree isn't growing out anymore. It's not planning to put on any new, any new buds, any new leaves. You take that cutting really quick. The tree is still alive, so you take it, clip it off, stick it in the root hormone, stick it in your soil medium, keep it nice and moist, and just give it some time. That is, um, that's how I was. That's how I've been successful with it. Now, I'm not a plant propagator. I've done it a few times, but I'm not very good at it. To say sure. I, I wouldn't call myself like a nurseryman or anything. Um, but some trees just don't react well to it. Some trees. Do react well to it. But then there's also all those conditions that come through. So it could be, like I said, that it just was either too dead or had been sitting for too long or got too dry. And the tree, basically the cells, they died. Whereas if you could take that cutting, it was the right size and the tree responded, then it could send out roots quickly enough that it could actually use those roots in that water to then absorb nutrients and water and live. So basically, there are a host of conditions that could have been wrong yeah. with this oak tree, not, not the least important of which is the actual genetic makeup of the tree. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes you can't, you know... You can't teach a dog to fly. Yeah, precisely. And I would say that most likely, um, I mean, it's really common for people to take cuttings like that, especially of trees that um, they're making like a, a cultivated variety of, a cultivar. But most of the time, they're grafting that onto an already existing tree of the right. same species. They're not just trying to get that cutting to grow new roots in and of itself. Um, but, you know, Cystis Nursery, my friend who works over there, who runs it, um, Paul, or uh, Mr. Hogan, Sean, he ends up um, like taking cuttings from things all over the place, and he just cuts it, puts it in his pocket, takes it back with him, and then puts it in this water and mm. grows it from there. So it's a if you know what you're doing, then I could be completely wrong. You just have to get it right at that very perfect time, yeah. And then almost every tree or plant will grow, you know, new roots, new shoots, just like that. I see. So I would say try again right about now. We're in late summer, and mm -hmm. try with a very fresh fresh start where you just go clip and then take that thing and and then put it in the root hormone put it in some nice uh very well draining but also um high moisture content soil medium and then hopefully it'll grow well i think that oak tree is long gone yeah that's what it sounds like so yeah. your best bet now just nurture that baby little seedling yeah love it to death or see if you can figure out no rather not to death love it Till, love it to love life. Love it to life. Thank you, Alex. Um, yeah, give that thing the best chance that it can have. Put some mulch around it. Make sure that you water it during these really rough times right now if you're there's not already water kind of going around it. Mm -hmm. And that tree will probably grow and get just as big and fast as something that you take from a small cutting because cuttings have to be from really tiny little twigs, like the smallest little end portion. And that's because those new roots that come out have to support an already existing thing thing so if that existing thing is too big even though even those those roots if they do grow out and they start to take up water they just can't take up enough to support you know 10 gigantic leaves yeah so really tiny little um little twig at the very tip that's what you want to cut off not the very tip i mean give it an inch or two use that um, and that way those roots can start to support it and it's not going to be too much for them to handle. Um, so right now that little seedling, as long as you take good care of it, it will start to put out new roots. It's already got its roots. It's already established. Give that everything that it needs. It'll grow just as fast as a new cutting. It won't be the technical same tree, but then again, 
an oak tree may very well just be an acorn's means of reproducing itself. Mm-hmm. So I would take solace in the fact that maybe it's the very same tree. It's just a, it's just a new version. There you go. There you are. Well, thank you so much for your question, Fiona and Mark. If you have a question for Casey about trees, email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at arbitrarypod. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y. Or go to arbitrarypod.com for additional readings on all of our trees and some sweet merch. That's right. Or join the Patreon. For five bucks or ten bucks a month, you can join the Arboretum or the Cone of the Month Club and get a unique cone sticker every month illustrated by an independent artist, Casey. Alex, yes. We have come to the end of this episode of Completely Arbitrary. I'm sorry, this was such a sad one, Alex. Yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. But, um, yeah. There's no but. There's no but, period. This is a bum. We don't, nothing, not everything has to, you know what? I say just like a Greek tragedy. Yeah. We end this episode on a sad note. Yes. And with that, I say thank you so much for listening to Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. We'll see you then. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 